uh, go for launch. Five. Quiet, numbskulls. I'm broadcasting. Anything can happen in the next half hour. Four. My friend, we cannot keep this a secret any longer. This whole thing is insane. Three. Quiet, please. I am analyzing. Where's the kaboom? Two. There was supposed to be an earth-shattering kaboom. One. Throughout my life, the Ten Rings gave our family power. If you want them to be yours one day, you have to show me you are strong enough to carry them. You are a product of all who came before you. The legacy of your family. You are your mother. And whether you like it or not, you are also your father. I told my men they wouldn't be able to kill you if they tried. Glad I was right. You're just a criminal who murders people. Be careful how you speak to me, boy. my fellow galactic travelers and welcome back to planet eight this is your mission commander larry speaking to you from our hidden base chief engineer bob is here by my side as always in the command center and circling planet eight in our orbital spy satellite is reconnaissance officer karen and on this episode of planet eight we're going to take a deep dive into Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. Straight away, we'll kick it up to the satellite. Karen, would you like to share some background information of the book variety with regards to this character? Of the comic book variety? Yes, comic I can. Book variety, yes. Because that's <laughs> what I know. Although, I'll, I will openly admit that I was not a huge reader of Master of Kung Fu at the time. I had a few issues here and there, but uh, no, Shang-Chi, and, and I think we, uh, we mentioned this on our, our pre-meeting, none of us were pronouncing this correctly. No, we were not. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I know I said Shang-Chi. I, I was Shang-Chi as well. I was Shang-Ing too, but see, we're all 
like dumb Americans, so we can't pronounce <laughs> anything anyway, right? <laughs> well, and even the author, the creator, Steve Englehart, has admitted that he used to say Shang-Chi, so I think we're in good company. <laughs> okay. Um, but no, this is so. This is a character that goes back to uh, Marvel's glorious 1970s, my favorite decade of, of uh, comics. And uh, Steve Englehart and Jim Starlin uh, created this character uh, in 1973. So Steve Englehart, uh, well-known Marvel and DC writer, uh, wrote a lot of titles like Captain America, The Avengers. Uh, for DC, wrote some Batman, uh, Justice League, other books. And uh, Jim Starlin, now best known as the creator of Thanos, but also worked on a lot of cosmic titles like Warlock and Captain Marvel. Anyway, these guys were at a party with a bunch of other comics professionals, and uh, they were getting ready to go out. And one of the, another guy at the party said, oh, no, I want to watch this new TV show. It's really great. And they're like, well, what do you, what TV show do you want to watch? He said, it's called Kung Fu. So intrigued, Englehart and Starlin sat down and watched Kung Fu, and they, they loved it. And at that time, you know, martial arts hadn't penetrated the American consciousness, not quite as much as, you know, they, they would shortly after this show came out. Now, of course, Kung Fu um, was originally, if you go way back into the idea of the Kung Fu TV show, Bruce Lee's idea, which was sort of stolen from him and then remodeled and, and moved around and changed around a bunch and then featured David Carradine as a half Chinese, half uh, Caucasian hero that roamed the West. But anyway, uh, it was a really popular show. I know I watched it. My family watched it. Everybody mm -hmm. thought it was really groovy. And so Englehart and Starlin saw this Kung Fu show and they said, holy cow, we should make a comic book about something like this. And, of course, at the same time, the martial arts movies were starting to make their way, especially into the New York market. So they, they had some reference there. And they said, let's make this this character. Uh, Englehart came up with the name uh, using the I Ching or the I Ching. See, again, I don't know how to pronounce all these things. <laughs> um, <laughs> but he, he meant for Shang-Chi's name to meant the rising and advancing of a spirit, Karen, which was supposed to show the... Um, character of Shang-Chi as overcoming his past, his family's past. And in the comics, very similar to kind of what they presented in the movie as his origins, his father was an international uh, uh, crime lord, but in the comics it was Fu Manchu. And that's a whole nother story, um, one which has a lot of unfortunate sort of racist overtones nowadays. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, and it was connected to uh, another author, Sax Romer. And so I think they kind of wisely, you know, cut off that part of his origin story and changed it up for the films. But, uh, yeah, they uh, premiered him in what had been a reprint comic called Special Marvel Edition, issue 15. Uh, within two issues, Shang-Chi took it over and it became Master of Kung Fu uh, and quickly became sort of a... Um, you know, martial arts slash espionage kind of book um, with some fantasy overtones. It really hit its stride when it had author Doug Munch and Paul Gulacy, the artist on it, uh, had a really successful run as sort of a, not, you know, mainstream, but sort of an underground hit for many, many years. And uh, 
that's kind of where this is coming from. I can't say that I'm familiar with uh, where Shang-Chi is at right now in the Marvel Universe. I did a little bit of reading, um, but I think certainly they've changed up his origin and character quite a bit for the for the film. But hmm. the basis, the basis of him having this criminal overlord father being trained as an assassin and then breaking away and um, becoming a hero is sort of the roots of the character that they kept from the comic books. That's cool. Um, one of the things that I thought when uh, I saw the film, and, and by no means am I going to jump to the to the end, and of course, spoiler alert, uh, if, if you haven't seen the film, don't listen to this podcast yet. But, you know, even I and I remember if there was like a Marvel two in one, um, he'd show up with like the man thing or Luke Cage or someone. And it, it, I always thought him of as a street level hero, kind of like Daredevil or right. Luke Cage. Occasionally Ghost Rider would show up or man thing. And those were the weirdest team ups to me. Uh, as a kid, but uh, the, the the film. Uh, so I thought it was going to be like a Daredevil you know, level character. Mm -hmm. And, and the film really surprised me in a pleasant way. Um, yeah, I, I was talking with Karen about, you know, going to see the film and the latest trailer that they released probably 10 days, two weeks before the film really pumped me up more than the initial trailer. And, um, um, and, and, and it even went further than that in the film. So that was that was really cool. A pleasant surprise. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, he definitely in the comics, like you're saying, is much more one of the street level characters or used to be. And uh, and there is some of that in the film, which is really fun. The, you know, the scene on the bus that's in the trailer sure. and everything is, is a lot of fun. It's very, you know, Jackie Chan ish kind of thing. But then there's a whole last third of the film, which is on a whole nother level, a whole nother scale of yeah. power. And it's very fantasy, you know, fantasy like very fantasy elements that are very um, like almost like they came out of a whole nother movie. But but they, it mm -hmm. works, you know, because that's where the story's been progressing. Right. And so, Bob, what was your experience with with the comics? your expectations going into the film were you kind of like where we were or what 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 did you think well i mean i basically grew up on asian films on all right. the kung fu films and you know japanese films but yeah i watched my fair share of chopsaki kung fu you know type of movies whether it be bruce lee or bruce Lai or jackie chan or any of those and uh yeah i mean the movie i think out of all the sort of American versions of Asian films, this one finally got it right. Yeah. And it kind of well, started uh, off, you know, when he was in San Francisco and he's doing all the, you know, the bus fight and the fight you know, on the side of the building with all the scaffolding. It was very Jackie Chan. But then as it moved on, it became more like Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon Mm -hmm. Or it became more like Monkey King and all the fantasy elements. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I thought it, it had it all and I think it, it did it well. And um, I got to say, you know, the one part that if you told me this before seeing it, I would have said you're freaking crazy is I, I liked how they handled Trevor. <laughs> Bringing Trevor back. You know, and that was, a t you know, I tried to avoid, I watched a couple of the 
trailers, but I tried to avoid any kind of spoiler whatsoever for the movie. So I had no idea they were going to do that. And when he like turns around and it's Trevor, I'm like, holy crap. Uh, I mean, how ballsy was that? Because one of the main criticisms from Iron Man 3 from a lot of fans was, how dare you soil the name of the Mandarin, this iconic villain well, they, the they still Man. they still soiled the name, though. It, it, well, <laughs> <laughs> this guy I doesn't want to be called the Mandarin. But, you know. Well, yeah, I love the way they addressed it in the film where he says, wait, they're, they're calling me a fruit. I'm a Mandarin. I've been called many things over the years. Um, and, and that they saved Trevor because he was an entertaining buffoon. He was a court jester. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, I mean, there's always sort of some kind of comic relief character in a lot of these Marvel films, and he yeah. filled the role quite well, I thought. And again, you know, they even refer back when he's explaining what happened. They refer back not only to Iron Man 3, but also to that short that was on the uh, Thor yeah. Dark World Blu-ray where Trevor's in jail and, and all that and, and the, the Mandarin is coming kind of thing. But yeah, I thought it was brilliant in tying everything together, kind of cleaning some things up. And uh, and again, you know, like I say, I think they got it right. Um, you know, Simu Liu is like a very likable character. Whether he he's Asian or anything else, doesn't matter. Just he is a good actor and a likable character. In fact, it was funny because we all went to see the movie on Sunday. And I come home and I turn on the Giants-Dodgers game. And he's throwing out the first pitch. <laughs> he threw out the first pitch and then did a backflip on the mound. <laughs> and it was great. I didn't know it was Marvel night at the Giants game that night. But um, but yeah, he, he was there throwing out the first pitch and all that. He also did some interview, local interviews where he's talking about filming and being in San Francisco and all that, because uh, the first, what, maybe third of the movie takes place in San Francisco? Oh, yeah, that was cool. Bob was excited. We we got texts from him. Hey, look, at, uh, I'm not a baseball fan, so I, I wouldn't have known otherwise had Bob not shared that with me. Yeah, the guy threw a, a pretty good pitch and then did the backflip. It's like, hey, that's that's all right, right? <laughs> yeah, well, a lot of people I, throw out the first pitch and it's like three, four feet from the uh, from the plate, or it doesn't make it all the way, or whatever. But you know, his yeah. his was kind of a rainbow throw, but it got there. It was a strike, and then he did his flip, and everyone went crazy. <laughs> I, I agree with you about um, Trevor. I had no idea. He was going to be in the film. So it was absolutely hilarious to see him there. And it it was sort of like Marvel saying, we're not going to push this under the rug. We're just going to, you know, deal with it head on. Here he is. You know, he's still around. (laughs) He's still dealing with this, you know, and uh, that and then their version of like, I don't know, the Ewok or whatever, the little headless (laughs) chicken pig. Now, come on. It's, it's, it's funny. Well, I went to see this with a friend and she was like, that thing totally is is just there as a plot contrivance. And, and I was like, an Ewok. and I was like, it's it's the, I think it's there for the kids. I think it's there as the Ewok, you know, so, something about so something funny. about a headless Ewok kind of appeals to me. <laughs> but uh yeah, it was great, you know, the the way they worked him in, it it didn't feel um forced or anything. It it felt 
you know, of course it's a Marvel movie. You're going to have some humor. You're going to have something there to lighten it up. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I thought that that worked really well. And I like Simu Liu, too. Uh, he is a really likable guy. He's He's sort of like the Peter Parker kind of guy where you just feel... You know, like you can relate to him, like you want him to do well. <laughs> I don't know. It's just he's he just seems like a good guy who happens to be, you know, the master of Kung Fu. <laughs> so. But he uh, he pulls off the action scenes really well. In fact, his fight, if you want to call it that, his training fight whatever, with Michelle Yeoh, uh-huh. I thought was great. Oh, and it's was... both of them actually doing it. It wasn't like stunt people or whatever. It was, you know, because Michelle Yeoh has been in countless action movies. Oh, my God. You know, from yeah. Jackie She's Chan amazing. films to, to James Bond to... Yeah. You know, heroic trio and everything else. And uh, yeah, she's just, I, I was like, very, I knew she was going to be in it, but I was very happy to see her in it. One mm-hmm. one thing that I was like kind of disappointed wasn't in it was Fin Fang Foom. <laughs> but those horses or whatever they were, they kind of had the Fin Fang Foom face on them. So I think that uh, was yeah. maybe their nod to Fin Fang Foom. But when they kept talking about something. a dragon, then I, th- I thought, oh, here he comes. But no. <laughs> Could be something coming in a later film. Uh, one of the things, you know, the, the dragon and and the little uh, mythical uh, Ewok wannabe, and uh, you know the the crouching tiger scene with Michelle Yao. Uh, it, it embraced the the proud heritage of prior films, um, stories, characters, um, mythology within the Asian culture, and made no apologies. And, you know, I'll, I'll say that uh, Simo is a very handsome fit, as my wife put it, well-made uh, superhero. <laughs> <laughs> um, and he has acting chops, you know. Um, look, I'm, I'm a per- I, I love we all love Bruce Lee, but I love Jackie Chan. I mean, drunken master and, and everything he's ever done. He has such heart when he acts and and i i think we saw that in this film i mean mm-hmm. this actor did a great great job yeah yeah i think you know obviously these the producers have watched their fair share of jackie chan but okay. uh yeah i mean i kind of wonder you're saying that uh steve Englehart and everyone was like inspired by david carradine's kung fu and it's kind of funny because I always liked Iron Fist. <laughs> and here Netflix did Iron Fist and kind of crapped the bed with that. Uh, but yeah. my comment on, on Iron Fist was always, if they made that back when David Carradine was doing Kung Fu, it would have seemed amazing. But after seeing yeah. all these other movies, it just seems pretty lame. So in that regard, you know, the producers of Shang-Chi had all those action films and Jackie Chan and Bruce Lee and everything else, Jet Li, to pull from. So their uh, inspirations were not just, you know, fake kung fu and slow motion. Their, you know, their inspirations were, you know, very fast, quick paced Hong Kong action. And so you have to kind of wonder what Englehart would have done if that was his inspiration back in the day. Mm. Yeah. I mean, he did have Bruce Lee. There were Bruce Lee films out back then. Um, right. You know, because Shang-Chi, when, when did that start in the comics? 
So Shanxi started in 73, and it was right after they they um, put the first issue out that, like, basically, from what Engelhart says, that right after they, you know, and it takes a few months gap from when you, you write and draw everything to when it's published. But he said right after it was published, it was like the martial arts craze had hit New York. And the films were all, you know, out, and and they really had an awareness of it. And so oh, yeah, that's that was, why they, that was about the time Enter the Dragon had come out as well, right? And so then, when you know, Master of Kung Fu was doing pretty well, then they said, "Oh, we need another one." So then Iron Fist came along, I think, in seventy four or seventy five. So they were just trying to capitalize, you know. Then they had White Tiger, and you know, there was just like a whole run of martial arts characters that they started developing after that. Mm. Now in movies, it's like almost every character knows martial arts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, look, not to dwell on Danny Rand and, and Iron Fist, but uh, I, I agree with – yeah, that first season was pretty abysmal. But the second half of the second season, they did kind of try and clean things up, and, and it would have been interesting to see how they got a third season, and, and I'll, I, I'll leave it at that. You know, I didn't even watch the second season because I was so disappointed in the first because I do – Iron Fist was actually the martial arts character I followed rather than Master of Kung Fu. And I kind of wonder how they would do Iron Fist now because they've given Shang-Chi this mystical land that he comes from. Well, that was kind of Iron Fist's shtick, you know, Mm because he came from Kunlun. So it's sort of like, oh, what are they going to do with Iron Fist, right? Because that's Mm -hmm. what he did. He came from the mystical land that was hidden from everybody. Yeah, but also like Shang-Chi is now on a whole different level than he was in the comics because now he's got the Ten Rings. That was the beautiful thing about this film is that they went from street level level, because I told Jasmine, well, he'll never be an Avenger, you know, and that's okay because we need defenders as well. But nope. He's an well, Avenger. So. Kevin Feige, there was a, an interview I watched after I saw the movie, and this guy asked him, and it's a very nerdy question, but he asked him, well, you know, what about Shang-Chi? Like, is he on the same power level as, like, the Hulk or Thor? And, of course, Kevin Feige wouldn't quite answer it, but he said, well, at his most powerful, Shang-Chi is, is right up, you know, at the top of power. So it's like, oh, okay, so I guess... Right. You know, who knows what he can do with with those rings. Now, going back to the Mandarin in the comics, and I was kind of more exposed to him in like Iron Man comics than anything else. Right. Me right. too. But he had not rings on his wrist. He had actual rings on his fingers and each ring had a different power, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Almost like the Infinity Stones, but... Yeah, I was going to uh, say exactly yeah. right, yeah. So, yeah, I thought it was just interesting that he had basically five bracelets on each wrist, but but Which I thought it was work. handled well. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Especially exactly. because Shang-Chi took them to a different level. Mm-hmm. You know, he took them to a level where he was, they were like popping off his wrists and he was using them as steps, you know, to get through the air on them and everything else and uh, just all the different things he could do with them. Because mm-hmm. basically, you know, the Mandarin, well, the Mandarin or whatever you want to call him, was basically using him to, to either vault himself into the air or shoot rays. Yeah. And that's really all right. he did. 
I mean, right. at, at one point towards the end there, Shang-Chi had taken them off and they were rotating next to him so fast. It looked like an atom. It looked like, you know, like I thought, is he going to like go nuclear or something? <laughs> I thought it was like the fusion reactor that Iron Man, Tony right. had created, right? It was is at that level. And of course, his glowed golden, which I guess you would associate with more positive life force and his dad's had that sort of dark bluish yeah, right. glow, which was maybe a little more ominous or evil looking. Well, look, I, I, to, to go back a little bit, um, what I enjoyed about the film, too, because not every Marvel movie does this, is it wasn't a linear story like, say, the first Captain America movie where there is a beginning, middle and end. This kind of went back in time to tell you know, the relationship with his sister, the relationship with his mother, missed opportunities with mm-hmm. his father. And and so to me, I'm, I'm not a director or producer, but those are harder stories to do well because it's very easy to lose an audience when you start doing backstory in the narrative, trying to move the story forward. And then have fun with it. I mean, I, I, I have to give Aquafina uh, credit. She was in the Jumanji film. I watch her in Nora from Queens. I, I she's also you know, in she, uh, Crazy Rich Asians. Crazy Rich Asians. She gave some comedy, but she also was a good support person in the film. And uh, look, let, let's talk about the abomination. I, I mean. <laughs> That to uh, uh, not take anything away from Trevor, but there's Wong fighting the abomination in this, you know, fight club. And and we find out that it's his sister, uh, Shang-Chi's sister, who's running the organization in the fight club that he went to go look for because of the postcard that he sent her and the amulet or the necklace that they stole from him with the guy with the blade on the bus in Chinatown. Oh, my God. I mean, well, and, and there was a natural progression from this street level fighter to ultimately this person who had like, you know, this atomic energy ring manipulation thing at the end of the film that it, it, the abomination. What the hell? How did that happen? <laughs> so, well, I mean, explain that to me. bringing that up, what, what did you think about Wong's involvement in the film? Oh, brilliant. Just brilliant bringing in that character from an established franchise who we 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 learn to love because of his repartee with with Stephen Strange. And um, and I'm not going to jump to the to the end of the movie because that was one of my favorite scenes with Wong. Um, But how is he friends with the abomination? I want that story. Well, it almost sounded like he was training the abomination. Yeah, right. He's telling me why. You know, why did you do this? You should have done that, and you, you know. should have. And then they zap, a punch. Yeah, and off he went. Yeah. Hey, <laughs> you're making some money. Those guys are making some money today. Making right? some- yeah. <laughs> uh, and I, fixed, yeah, I, I tell you, uh, I thought Abomination was like on ice at either the the raft or some other prison. So uh, I'm very curious how he's out and uh, it kind of looked like when Wong was making the the gate for you know abomination that maybe he was going back to jail it was a little hard to tell but oh, i don't know or or, like mo- his- or money talks and prisoners walk yeah who knows well, take a look. i love how they cleaned up the abominations look one of the complaints that i think everyone had in the hulk movie the last hulk movie abomination didn't look like the abomination that we all know and love from the comics they finally gave him his dragon ears you know and they 
they cleaned up his chin and, and uh, you know, so uh, it, it gives me hope that perhaps in some future film we'll see the leader or, you know, some other gamma uh, bad guy to, to mess with the heroes in the MCU. But I digress, my friends. Hey, you may see Let's the leader in uh, She-Hulk for all you know. Hey, <laughs> you know, I wasn't going to go there, Bob, but hey. But so, if you want to talk Hulks, you know, jumping way to the end that you said was so good with with uh, Wong. Uh huh. Banner is Banner again. Banner is Banner again. Now, because and Professor Hulk Banner was supposed to be cast on. Yeah, well, ba- so, well, Professor Hulk or whatever you want to call him was supposed to be the balance that they found with each other, and now suddenly he's Banner again. Well, and yeah, he has the, he has the see. sling on from. The Infinity Stones, but yeah, I mean, where is Hulk? I guess we'll find out in She-Hulk. Another plug well, for She-Hulk. Because yeah, Banner was back to being Banner, so I don't know. I thought it was well, interesting that they brought Banner and Captain Marvel in to represent the Avengers. Well, I, I mean... Or maybe they were just the experts that Wong consulted. At that point with regards True. to that discharge of energy... Yeah. So, yeah, maybe, or it could be Rhodey and, you know, Tic Tac were off on another mission or Ant-Man. Um, <laughs> you know. Yeah, it'll be curious um, to see if Banner, does he, can he revert? Has he somehow, has the gamma radiation worn off? What's going on with him? Uh, well, I know he's, sure. he is supposed to be in She-Hulk, so I guess maybe... Maybe that'll answer it. Maybe She-Hulk should right. have been before that scene. Maybe. I'm I'm hoping and praying we get a Mr. Fix-It in that She-Hulk miniseries, but we'll see. <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll see about that. Or the Great Gazoo, if you want to talk green, guys. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, there you go. So so the Abomination in Wong, that was a great scene. Then he, you know, Shang-Chi meets up with the sister. They talk about whatever. Um you know, mayhem ensues with the father's warriors coming in and they all just like stop when he comes in and says, that'll do. Kind of reminded me of uh, the movie Babe. That'll do, pig. That'll do. And they all just uh, walk out and follow the Mandarin back to his compound. But Babe had a head, though. <laughs> Babe had a head. That's right. <laughs> it would, you know, reintroduced to Trevor and stuff. Um, it, it's funny. I was talking with one of my nieces. Her and her boyfriend went to go see it. And uh, they asked, uh, she asked him, if uh, if I die before you and you hear my voice coming from a cave, would you try and get me or would you think, you know? <laughs> I, I Look, I think, uh, well, I, I won't call him the Mandarin, but I think he loved his wife. He, he gave up all that power that he'd known for hundreds of years, thousands of years. Yeah, thousands. For her, for the serenity and children. And like Michael Corleone and Godfather 3, every time I try to get out, they pull me back in. But, but you know, Shang-Chi, and, and, and I was going to say, because we've kind of talked about this when we talked about Black Widow, it does seem like a lot of these Marvel films, Bob had, had this point, seem to go back to being about family. This one is definitely about family. Mm-hmm. It is. But, but when Shang-Chi confronts his dad... In Talo, he gets very emotional and he tells him, you know, after mom died, we needed you, but, you know, you wanted those damn rings mm-hmm. and you, you left us for those damn rings. And so he, ultimately his desire for power overruled his 
you know, his love for his kids, his, his, his desire for revenge, you know, was more than taking care of his kids and stuff. And, you know, the whole, that whole thing tore apart that family. The whole revenge tore apart. Now, the thing about Black Widow versus Shang-Chi is in Black Widow, of course, at the end, it's the big family reunion and everybody's a family again and they're all happy and whatever. Shang-Chi, that is not the case. Yeah, the mother is dead. The father is supposedly dead. You know, Shang-Chi's going back to uh, San Francisco or whatever to become an Avenger. And uh, his sister seems like she's going to be like Mandarin too. So the family at <laughs> yeah, the end is like, like as shocking. splintered as you're going to get. Well, you know, and I was thinking about what Bob had said before and, and think about Tony Stark, both parents dead, wishes he had a relation with them, got in a big fight with Cap and Bucky over it. Let's take a look at Cap, lost his parents, Bucky's like his surrogate brother. There's take a lot a of tragedy. Loves his father, mother dies prematurely, that whole time thing where he gets, you know, he's a PSTD and uh, T'Challa with his father. I mean, and, and I don't remember reading all of this family tragedy stuff in the comics. <laughs> you know, Peter and his Uncle Ben. Yeah, I remember that. But Bob's right. Almost every single hero is looking to belong to something bigger than just themselves, looking for a family, if, and, if not the actual family, an extended family. Well, I mean, maybe that's what attracts them all to the Avengers eventually. Yeah. And it's going to be interesting interesting to see in the next uh, Avengers movie, which they're talking about, like Avengers 5 or whatever, is who are the Avengers going to be? Who are the Avengers going to be? That, that will be interesting. Um, yeah. I mean, in, in the books, obviously, there have been other people in the Avengers. I don't know if the Avengers ever went without Cap, Iron Man, Thor. Yeah. All I think Cap was pretty much the mainstay usually. Yeah. Everyone else kind of came and went and went and came. And I know Hawkeye. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Hawkeye nowadays usually, it's yeah. easier to figure out who isn't an Avenger than who <laughs> is an Avenger. Well, I mean, I'm waiting for Wonder Man to come in. Well. <laughs> they almost had a scene with, with Wonder Man in Guardians of the Galaxy 2, I think, with Nathan Fillion. Huh. But, Interesting. Didn't happen. Well, hey, maybe he'll wind up in the Hawkeye uh, series on Disney Plus. <laughs> <laughs> you, you never know. Yeah. Well, uh-huh. I mean, yeah, because I I keep telling people like my Avengers when I grew up was like Cap, Wonder Man, Vision, Scarlet Witch, you know, Yellow Jacket, Beast was Wasp. part of my Avengers when I was growing yeah. up. The blue uh, furry version of the Beast. Oh yeah. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. Hey, just just because I have such Trevor Trevor love in my heart, what did you guys think of that uh, Planet of the Apes? You know his desire oh. to become an actor. <laughs> his whole theory of Planet of the Apes. <laughs> that, I was dying. I was dying during that. <laughs> I, I knew I wanted to be an actor, love. When they could teach monkeys how to ride horses. <laughs> But everybody was like going along with. They didn't want to like shatter his illusion. <laughs> so you you thought that it was monkeys. I thought the the monkeys were acting like they could ride horses. And if they could do that, love, I could be an actor. And then think of what I the, could do. The, the 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 scene with the headless Ewok going to him because it it or she or he thought Trevor was dead. He's I'm acting, love. Get away from me. I'm acting like I'm dead. 
Uh, he was emoting. I mean, ben Kingsley, he's a great actor, but he really just out. Trevor had to have been one of the most hated characters in the MCU after Iron Man 3. And now he's going to be one of the most beloved. I mean, got to love it. Well, he survived the movie, too. So who knows? He could come, he could come he back. Sure, he, he did. He survived the movie. It's, it's hard to hate someone who is basically their mind is completely gone. So... <laughs> <laughs> the things Planet of the Apes was filmed with monkeys. <laughs> That's just priceless. Well, it was um, damn convincing makeup, I tell you. <laughs> yes, makeup. Um, so, yeah, good acting all the way around with, with Ben Kingsley, Aquafino, the supporting cast, the main cast. Um, I, I thought what they did with that dragon, I, I was like Bob. I was, I, I, I was like, fing, fang, foom. Here we go. I I want Fing Fang Foom, but only if he's wearing his undershorts. <laughs> That's the version I want to see. Well, okay. Um, if it's a Disney film, I'm sure you'll probably get that. So I hope so. Um, but yeah, e- even even it not being Fing Fang Foom, the, the dragon scene was cool. I mean, that was just at that point. I'm like, okay, they're they're just going with it. it besides <laughs> the mythical lion, you know, creatures and the the all the other like antelopes and gazelles and stuff. That's like, okay, I'm 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 in. This is great. Yeah, it turned into a mini kaiju movie for the the last part. Hey man, between this and Suicide Squad, I tell you. Man, we had this, we had Suicide Squad, and we had Godzilla versus Kong. All these giant <laughs> monsters on the screen. That's yeah. It's a uh, you know, real, real it's a nice not trend. Away, yeah, not, not not to take away from this film too much, but Suicide Squad. Uh, I I I I didn't enjoy it as much as this one, but I I did enjoy it more than the first one. Um, spoiler alert! I love that they killed almost everyone that went on the first mission, and you're just like. What? And by far, Polka Dot Man seeing his mother everywhere was brilliant to me. I, I loved those scenes. And we'll go back to Shang-Chi now. Shang-Chi, <laughs> sorry. Shang-Chi. <laughs> Uh, any last minute thoughts, any, uh, comments? Oh, Wong's telling them, okay, you know, you got the briefing from the Avengers and, and here's, you know, you need to get some rest. Guess. Yeah. Aquafina says, yeah, we should, we should get some rest. And he's like, yeah, we should. Or, and there they are singing. And that was one of the best lines. I'll, I'll sing hotel California. Yeah. To confuse them. That way they won't beat you up. Cause. They don't realize that she uses it in, in early part of the movie. And sure enough, the Ninja Warrior guy is just looking at it like, what? But there are the three of them, Wong, Shang-Chi, and I forget Aquafina's character's name. Katie. Singing, thank you, singing Hotel California. I'm sure that's going to be like climbing the charts on Apple and Spotify. So I got to ask. Yes. In the pantheon of MCU movies, where would you put this? Now, you don't have to rank them all, but say, hey, it was better than X, but maybe not as good as Y. Or was it the best ever? I mean, what do you think? It's hard when it's just out because it's I feel like I almost have to see it a couple of times before I have a good sense. I mean, I would put it if I was going to grade it, I would probably give it like a B plus, something like that. It's it's definitely a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. Um, I don't think it's in my top five, but it, well, it it might crack my top ten. I don't know. I'd have to think about it. Yeah, um, I, I'm I'm kind of in Karen's uh, 
boat there on that, Bob. It's a fair question. Um, yeah, I, I definitely top 10. It's, it's not my most absolute favorite. That remains uh, Captain America Winter Soldier, my number one. Me too. Me too. For various reasons. Uh, yeah, let's see once the Eternals hit and uh, Spider-Man and then, uh, I don't know, maybe that could be like a, a New Year podcast where we kind of take a look at the mcu 10 years later 11 years later and isn't that amazing right yeah, it is it you know i was eyeing that book that they have coming out uh in another month or two 10 years of the mcu it's it's a hefty price more of an investment than a, than a fun read uh what about you bob i mean you, you posed the question well, i mean kind of have a, yeah i love winter soldier mm-hmm. and i love Gar- the first guardians of the galaxy yeah i would almost Put this close. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm thinking, you know, it's probably because, hey, I grew up with all these Asian movies, so it was right in my wheelhouse. But, right. uh, you know, I mean, maybe the first Avengers would be, be up close. Um, you know, I wasn't as big a fan of, like, Endgame as you guys were. But, uh, you know, maybe Infinity War. But, yeah, I don't know. I think it might crack the top five for me. If if it doesn't crack the top five for me, it's going to be six or seven because, like, Ragnarok. um, uh, I I love the first. The first Iron Man to me is like Christopher Reeve's Superman. I mean, it's just so iconic and just hit everything so well. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, the Winter Soldier. Um, yeah, Bob, I'm with you on the first Guardians uh, film. Um, you know, I, and I love Endgame. So that's five right there. And I, I, to be fair, like Karen said, it just came out. I'd have to rewatch some of those films because, God, I haven't probably seen them for three days. So, uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, we got 25 Marvel movies now. Isn't oh, that crazy? 25. 20. I, and, you know. I, I went and saw this with my friend, and she has three boys who are aged 10 to 13. And I realized, like, these kids grew up with these movies. These movies have always been around right. for them. And that just, like, both amazes me and kind of, like, gives me warm fuzzies. Because, like, as a kid, and you guys were in the same position, I mean, we really didn't have much. I mean, we had our comics and stuff, and we had, like, you know, Lou Ferrigno's Hulk, and God bless him, he did the best he could and stuff. Mm-hmm. But the stuff we had, you know, it was sort of like we had to use our imaginations a lot, you know. Well, we had and we now- had Nicholas Hammond's Spider-Man. <laughs> See, I'm going to be very, very, very disappointed if Nicholas Hammond is not in the next Spider-Man movie. Well. If they do, in fact, bring back Toby Maguire and uh, Andrew Garfield, they had better bring back Nicholas Hammond because he actually plays Spider-Man more than all three of those guys combined. Well, Bob, I think, think we're it. in the next Spider-Man movie. <laughs> we could be. So, but yeah, That's you know. Right. We, Planet 8 does have a cameo in the next we, film. Or bring, uh, uh, or bring the Japanese Spider-Man in there because he's played it more than anyone because he had like right. 52 episodes. But, you know, we just didn't have that much growing up. And these kids, there's a whole generation of kids that grew up with these films and all this amazing right. storytelling and visuals. So, I don't know. I still... Like I'm, I'm looking at Eternals, and I'm kind of like, eh. But even if it's just an okay film, that'll be, that'll be okay. That'll be fine. Yeah, but see, that's kind of what I thought of Guardians of the Galaxy at first. Before that's where I was with Guardians, I wasn't. So how are they going to pull this thing off? 
I wasn't oh. going to go see it because Karen and I were talking about the, the first time I saw a group in a in a book, in a comic book. I'm like, that's going to be in the film. Well, he was in like <laughs> where monsters dwell. He was just right. a giant monster running around. He, he was like the uh, Magumba. Um, ma, or, um, I'm the ruler of Planet X. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. So, so I, I think if they can pull off Groot and Rocket... They can pull off the Eternals somehow. I mean, yeah. totally. Super- I mean, did you think Shang Chi was going to be as good as it was? Not at first. Like I said, not until that second trailer for me is mm-hmm. when I got excited. Because it, when you look yeah. at the roster of films for Phase Four, some of them don't really excite you all that much. But four and five. I mean, they're talking about they, they yeah, might. So. You know, the way they did Shang Chi, the way they did Guardians, the way they did some of the other films. God, who knows? Yeah. Millie's a model. (laughs) (laughs) So we shall see. So look, uh, guys, we're going to do things a little different. Uh, This podcast, we're going to we're going to do our censor sweep. And then after the censor sweep, we're going to kind of do a kind of like an info share, not really a news uh, reel per se, but just kind of what happened with us since the last time we all met uh, here on Planet 8. Uh, so this episode's uh, Censor Sweep, Karen has something to share. Well, yes, I do. So in preparation for the, the podcast, I went to my bookshelf. And last year I got this Marvel Omnibus, which means it's a, a real big, heavy book. <laughs> and it has, it's The Hands of Shang-Chi, Shang-Chi, Master of Kung Fu Omnibus, Volume 1. And it has... Uh, Shang-Chi stories from Special Marvel Edition 15 through 16. It has Master of Kung Fu 17 through 37. And it has the giant size issues from 1 through 4. It wow. also has giant size Spider-Man number 2 and Iron Man Annual 4. So this is a very complete heck of a book. It also has like letter pages. So if you're a real geek and you like to read those letter pages <laughs> and see who was complaining about stuff, you know, 50 years ago, you can do that. Um, has an introduction by Steve Englehart. Uh, really nice, nice omnibus. The, you know, sometimes the colors are a little out of whack in these ones uh, when they go from the comics to these these uh, hardbacks. But I, I think the color is actually pretty good. Um and just, you know, a nice, uh, thick book with lots of issues for you to read through and learn about who Shang-Chi is. So if you got the dough, go out and pick yourself up an omnibus and learn all about Shang-Chi. Well, I know I'm going to do that. Uh-huh. So uh, we don't really have a, a name for this segment of the podcast, but uh, sharing is caring. So, Bob, what, what have you been doing for the last two weeks? Well, this is kind of a round robin, right? Yeah, yeah. We're, we're going to jump around. Holy excitement. <laughs> so <laughs> might even bounce around a little. We'll see. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's see. Last two weeks, as people listening to the show probably know, I was neck deep in Godzilla Fest and, uh, you know, a little low turnout due to pandemic, but people that were there were having a blast. Linda Miller was a great guest, one of the nicest women you ever want to meet. And uh, TJ Storm, another great guest, treats everybody like they're his best friend and he hasn't seen him in 30 years. Uh, In fact, if you go to our Bay Area Film Events 
our website, which is bayareafilmevents.com. Go to our video section, and at the very bottom, we have TJ Storm's interview that I did with him at uh, at uh, Godzilla Fest. And it's nice. a blast, let me tell you. It's about 20 minutes long, but man, he was a kick. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, I was pretty much... Yeah, I was pretty much involved with uh, with that, and then also at the same cool. time, I kind of uh, let this one woman have part of my backyard for a turtle rescue. Oh, nice. <laughs> so we've been moving turtles in. There's a it's like a six by eight pen with a big tank in it, and uh, it's been mostly like a big tub. Almost looks like you. Hey, you're putting a hot tub in the backyard um, <laughs> with like 21 turtles in it. And there's rocks and boards and things they can crawl on. We get up in the morning, we look out the window, and there's like eight or nine turtles all kind of stacked up on each other on top of the rocks. And it's pretty interesting. <laughs> you come outside and they see you and this blop, 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 blop. They all go back in the water. But it's kind of like, uh, what was the Dr. Seuss book? Yertle the Turtle. Where all the turtles <laughs> like pile cool. up on each other. Yeah, same type of thing. Cool. But yeah, it's pretty much been taking up all my time for the next for the last couple of weeks. That's cool. Uh, Karen, anything you want to share? Anything you want to plug? Any any going ons you want to tell us about? Yeah, I will definitely be plugging away. Um, I had the pleasure of appearing on my friend Billy D's podcast, Magazines and Monsters. Billy um, D. Williams? Not not Billy D. Williams. He's almost as smooth, though. Ah. Oh. Um, <laughs> Uh, he he does his podcast magazines and monsters. You can find it on Spotify and other fine podcasts. Um, we we had a good time talking about it, the terror from beyond space. Oh, and uh, he'll be putting that show up on September sixteenth. And uh, Billy does uh, uh, a really good show. He will talk about um, monster movies, horror movies, a lot of Hammer and Amicus. Um, he also has a blog that is also Magazines and Monsters. And and uh, if you go to magazinesandmonsters.com, uh, he'll talk about films and also uh, comic books and uh, magazines, hence the name Magazines and Monsters. So um, keep your eye out for that. And uh, otherwise, um, trying to get back onto my own blog, I've got a few ideas that I'm working on writing up. I've been told that I've been delinquent on that. So <laughs> hopefully we'll get echoes from the satellite going again after a long Yay. hiatus. That'll be good. Uh, you know, I thought you were going to say it came from outer space. I have a poster up on the wall next to me. <laughs> <laughs> But, yeah, that's cool. Definitely have to check that out. Different. Uh, yeah. Your mission commander went to Silicon, San Jose, Silicon Valley Comic Con with Adam Savage. Um, th this was definitely a smaller convention. Um, they, they did not require vaccination cards. I think we missed that by about a week or two. Uh, the city of San Jose. Actually, yeah, it is the city, not the county. Uh, so hockey games, any any venue with more than 50 guests, you're going to have to start showing vaccination cards. Uh, they did take our temperature. Um, there was more sanitizer there than like soda pop for sale. No food vendors outside or inside. Usually yeah. there's like Psycho Donuts is there. They got the hot dog carts outside and, and stuff. Um, they had one of the pop stands the wild bill 
uh, sarsaparilla stands set up there, but everything was six feet apart for the most part. There were some of the vendors uh, booths kind of got a little cluttered and they had staff there to kind of not break it up, but, you know, clear it up. The uh, autograph area was very well um, maintained as far as the six foot distance. Some of the panels were done via Zoom. They didn't, uh, NASA didn't have any of their staff there. They, they all called in on Zoom and that was kind of interesting. Um, which I think a lot of us do during the day for work, but it's like being at work. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I wanted to do some plugs and some shout outs. Um, our friends over at the Seven Stars Barn Grill have shut down at their current location. Um, they're still around. They're, they're looking for a new spot to open up. So if you get a chance, follow them. They have a presence on Facebook, Twitter. Um, I believe their website is Seven Stars Barn Grill. Uh, you can Google them and find them. Show them some love. Uh, we occasionally post updates from them on our Facebook page for for Planet 8. Um, please continue to follow and subscribe and tell your friends and neighbors about Planet 8 podcast over on YouTube. Um, we haven't done a uh, video of the three of us lately. Uh, we may bring in uh, guests such as uh, Mr. Lobo or Lord Bloodraw in the future. But, um, you know, the more subscribers we have over there, uh, the better off. I also uh, recently went over to La La Land mm. and purchased the Wrath of Khan 2 CD. It's a twofer. Um, th this thing is great. I was, I was talking to Karen and Bob about it before we started recording. Um, Karen has recommended, uh, the Inglorious Trexperts podcast to me. Yeah. And sure enough, I saw on a Twitter feed, uh, I follow them. Um, they're doing a podcast on this CD and they have a guest who works over at La La Land. And I listened to about a half hour of it. And, uh, you know, truth be told, it's not as entertaining as Planet 8 podcast. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, what is? Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> no, these these guys are great. They they have a love and a passion for, for Star Trek. And, and it shows, you know, whenever uh, you listen um, to folks talking and, and it's just a natural conversation, you almost feel like you're part of the conversation. And the Inglorious Trexperts come across that way. Um that, that's pretty much all uh, I have uh, to share on my end. Um, that's going to pretty much bring us to the end of the podcast, unless anybody has any last thought or thing to say. All right. On that note, this will conclude this transmission from Planet 8. We would like to thank all of our intergalactic audience for listening. Be sure to head on over to our website at www.planet8podcast.com where you can get more information on this episode's topic. For more conversation, find us on Twitter at Planet8Cast. Or on Facebook at facebook.com slash planet8podcast. We want to thank you guys for tuning in each and every episode. We look forward to your input and opinions. Until next time, this is Planet8 signing off. End transmission. By George, he's got it. It is the end.
We make a good team.